has actually been offended. But there is no doubt that the Bible speaks of the fact that if we come to make our offering and we realize that a brother half ought against us, that we are to go to that brother and we are to make things right with him. And so not only does the Bible uh, primarily deal with the obligation of the one being offended to forgive, but he also gives us instruction that if we are the offender, if we're the one that has caused the offense, that we are to seek for that person's forgiveness. We call it an apology or asking for forgiveness, something to that effect uh, in the day's uh, world. And we don't spend a lot of time preaching on this topic, but I want to give you some things today from that perspective and from that angle uh, that may serve us well as Christians to know the biblical way and the the way that God expects things to happen with regards to uh, making things right. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our text this afternoon. Father, we're thankful for your word and for the time, the sweetness of fellowship already this afternoon that we've had uh, both around the lunch table and uh, the time singing uh, the songs uh, for getting our hearts prepared for the preaching of your word. And, Lord, we are certainly uh, thankful for your greatness as our Savior. As we've taken time already in the main service to speak about the idea that Uh, You are not one that we need to come to and to tempt or to try, but we just simply need to trust. And Father, how great you are to do these things for us in our lives, to guide and direct as you would see fit, even though maybe there are times that we don't understand it, we can always trust it. And Lord, it does our hearts good to know that we can put our trust in a God that has our well-being at the highest priority. And then also to know that we can honor and glorify you through our faithfulness. And then, Father, as we look at this afternoon the subject of forgiveness and the idea of uh, our role, if we are the one being the offender, to make things right and to uh, cause there not to be any rift or cause any schism, uh, any type of thing that would grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, both in our lives and in the lives of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Father, help us to understand and to Uh, to learn these things and apply them to our lives that uh, we can become more of what you would want us to be as a Christian, that we would do things your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 51, the psalmist uh, is uh, uh, dealing here with the uh, problems that took place that arose after he had committed sin with Bathsheba And Nathan the prophet has come to him and said, Thou art the man. If you remember when Nathan came to David, he said, There's a man who has a lot of sheep. And uh, he had some company come over. And his neighbor, who only had one sheep, and his family looked at that one as the pet of the family. The rich man went and took his only sheep, the only one that he had, and slew it and gave it to his guests. And uh, Nathan was bringing this to David, and David got irate. He said the injustice of that, that the rich man, the wealthy man who had all these sheep and could have his choice and pick of anything, would do something like that. And uh, he said uh, what, what should be done to him, and David uh, gave a judgment as the king. And when he got done giving his judgment as the king, Nathan said, Thou art the man. And, by the way, it would do us well from time to time to have uh, some men of God and women of God who 
uh, will say the things that God wants them to say. Maybe they're hard to do sometimes, but the truth is necessary many times for us to realize the situation we're in. David had committed this sin, and I think, to be honest, had kind of swept it under the rug, thought he had hidden it, he had killed Uriah the Hittite. But yet the truth is, it was not hidden from God, was it? And there was a need for David to be confronted. And so Nathan does so. In response to that, David is a broken man. David realizing what he had done to God and that he had so harshly offended in so many ways. He writes this psalm and he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness, uh, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I want to back up a minute to the uh, verse number 8. When the psalmist says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. This is a shepherd who is speaking here to God. And he certainly understands the statement that he's making here in verse number 7. And one of the things that I, I find interesting during Bible times when they would many times herd sheep, there were times that the sheep would, uh, they, the, would, have, they would, there would be a sheep that would wander away from the shepherd, many times would get himself into trouble, either get stuck in a thicket or sometimes fall over a ledge and the shepherd would have to go and rescue him. Uh, perhaps he would just wander away from the flock a little bit further than he should and was in danger of the wolves coming and the wild animals coming and devouring him. And so the shepherd, for the sheep's own good, would take the sheep and he would hold the sheep uh, with his two front legs outstretched and he would take the, the shepherd's rod and he would break the legs of the sheep. And after having done that, he would take and bind the legs up so that they would heal correctly and inside of the left side of the shepherd's cloak, they had a pocket that was sewn on the inside. And he would take that sheep and would tuck him down into there. And for the next little while, while his legs would mend, the shepherd would carry that sheep with him everywhere he went. And uh, they would, I'm told, they would, uh, once they got mended and they would take the bandages off, that after having spent so much time near the shepherd, that when that sheep left the sh the shepherd uh, or was uh, uh, the bandages that he had on his legs, that that sheep would never wander more than a few feet from the shepherd wherever he went. Now this is the practice that David was very very familiar with, and when he speaks of this in verse number seven, David knows that he is being chastened of God. He knows that his own son was going to die because of his sin and judgment of God and his sin with Bathsheba. 
his legs had been broken. I can think of no greater sorrow for a parent than for a little child, a newborn, an infant to die and for them to suffer the loss and the grief. And David certainly understood the grief of his correction and his chastening. And he comes to God and he asks for God. And I find this interesting in verse 1 of this psalm that he asks God to have mercy upon him, but not according to his heart, not according to his merit. And we've mentioned this before. Certainly David was a man after God's own heart, but he doesn't put himself on that merit. He doesn't base it on that merit. He doesn't come to God and say, God, because I have loved you so much all my, the rest of my life, would you have mercy upon me? But notice what he asks for. He asks for God to have mercy upon him according to God's loving kindness. What a request. That God would deal with him, notice verse 1, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Now, the psalmist here is no doubt the one that has been the offender. We're going to see some principles that take place here in this passage that I believe are a pattern that when we are the offender, whether it be to God and we're asking for God's forgiveness or whether it be for an offense that we do to one another, to restore that fellowship, to restore that relationship, to reconcile ourselves one to another. I believe that these principles can be held true in everybody's life. And while many times we deal with the principles of forgiving, we don't often deal with the principles of making the apology and being the one who is repentant of that thing. So let's look at some things here very quickly. First of all, I want you to notice the remorse that David has. Verse number 2, the Bible says, Wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. This is something David can't get out of his mind. Uh, it's, it's very important, I believe, in order for us to make a sincere and a Christ-honoring and a biblical apology and to go and to try to reconcile to the one that we have offended, I believe it's very, very important that we see the wrong that we have done for what it is. That there, that there be a remorse, that there be something that, that is troubling to our hearts. If we can offend, and it never bothers our spirit, there's never anything inside of us that says, boy, I'll tell you, that relationship now, it has, the wedge has been driven in it. And, and, and that, that, that is, uh, in my mind, that's something I, I, I lose sleep over. I can't even think of a time, you know, my sin is ever before me, this offense it's always on my heart and on my mind. <clears throat> Have you ever done something that is so vivid in your mind you can't seem to get over it? I was driving down the road about a week ago. An event popped in my mind. A fellow a friend of mine down in Florida uh, had a trailer and uh, he was needing uh, to uh, carry something. And he said, well, my trailer lights aren't working. And I said, well, I can fix those. I've fixed trailer lights before. And he had a really nice new truck, pickup truck, one of the newer models that has all the computer gizmos and everything in it. I said, well, I can fix those, uh, that, that, uh, that, that for you. I've fixed trailer lights before. And so I, he said, okay, come on over to the house. I went over there to fix his trailer. <clears throat> and I crawl up underneath there, and he's got a jumble of wires. He's got wires going everywhere. And he's got some wires. I don't know what they do. They just go back to the back tires at the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting here thinking, well, those don't do anything. In fact, they're not even really connected to anything. 
They just seemed to be go. They just kind of disappeared into the wheel wells. So I thought, well, those are unnecessary. So I clipped that wire out, and then I took the wires and I ran them back to the lights and got those all wired in. And then I go up to his truck <coughs> and I went to plug the harness in. And uh, some of the lights were not in the right in the right order. So like when you would step on the brake, maybe the left turn signal would come on, or uh, a couple things didn't work right. They they weren't in the right order because of the the harness was wired differently. And so uh, I, I had to get a test route, and I had to go to his truck, and I had to test each terminal on the plug to find out which one did what, and then go back and try to correct it. And I spent a couple hours doing this, and uh, when he came home, I said, okay, here's where I'm at on it. I said, I found a bunch of wires there that didn't go anywhere. They just went back to the back wheels. He said, those went to my electric brakes on there. <laughs> well, I had disposed of his electric brakes on his uh, trailer, and uh, and then uh, I was working on that little thing on the back of his truck on the on the plug where you plug it in, and I I set the the probe on there and I was testing them and I happened to hit two at one time with that little probe. My hand was shaky, I was sweaty, and uh, and I hit two at one time and it arced it out and it blew a fuse somewhere, but I couldn't find it. The guy ended up trading his truck in about eight months later <laughs> because he didn't have the ability to to plug a trailer in. And I looked at that, and I was like, I am so sorry. I've messed up a trailer. I've messed up his trailer lights. So if you ever need trailer lights rewired, do not call me on that one. But, you know, that happened 8 or 10 or 11 years ago, 12 years ago, probably, probably about 12 years ago. And, you know, that thought came to me last week. That, that I, I apologized to him. I made things right. But, you know, that still was, was something that was heavy on my heart. I thought of that. I thought, you know, I cost that man money. I cost him time. And I, I think that, that there's got to be that level of realizing I have wronged my brother. There's a lot of times that we can offend somebody, and when we realize they were offended, we just quickly and casually offer an apology. The psalmist said, Lord, my sin is ever before me. I cannot get over this wrong that I have done. If I have offended a brother or sister in Christ, I have driven a wedge between that which it ought to not be. There ought to be that relationship there, that love one for another. I believe for us to have a biblical understanding of a true apology and getting things right with that person, we must have a remorse and we must understand that what we have done has hurt that person. It has cost them something. And the psalmist understood this, and he said, My sin is ever before. Look down verse number 17. The psalmist says it better than I ever could, as he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I believe there needs to be a brokenness in our apologies. We live in a day where apologies are handed out and they're not worth anything, are they? Many times they're just words. Many times we apologize just because we got caught. There's no remorse. There's no contriteness. There's no... What about when it comes to the things of the Lord? When we are the offender of God in some aspect of His Word, is there a contriteness there? Is there a brokenness of our spirit? Is there, is there a point where we say, Lord, that, that's, I just can't get it off my heart. I can't get it off my mind. I have hurt you. 
And I believe that one of the first steps of apologizing and getting things right and reconciling with someone from the side of the one that was the offender is that we must have a brokenness, a contriteness about our actions. I think the second thing that we find in this passage is also found in verse number 3. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin. Notice in both cases he uses a personal pronoun here. He said this isn't just some transgression that's taking place. This isn't just some sin that's taking place. This is my transgression. And this is my sin. And this is the second thing I think we must learn to take responsibility. We're living in a day where it is rampant of denying responsibility for things, is it not? So much so that people will lie straight out of their mouths and not even care if they're lying. And they don't even care if they get caught lying anymore. They just do not want to take responsibility. I, got, I, 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 loved, I loved basketball. That was my sport. Growing up, that was my sport. I liked to play it. That was one of the, my favorite sports to play. And, and I remember the first time that I watched a slow-motion replay of an NBA game, and, and a, a fella had quite obviously knocked the ball out of bounds. And the first thing he did was to point the opposite direction as if to say, I didn't touch it. And I never forgot that. I thought, man, how, how vile is that? that? Here's the man, he knows he, he committed the offense in the game, but he's not willing to take responsibility. In fact, not only is he not willing to take responsibility, but he's trying to put the blame on the other guy who had no part in it. And you say, Brother Greg, that's just a game, but I, I want you to understand that the character of our society followed quickly down that road. And now we live in a day where it doesn't matter if it's a ball game or not. Now in politics, now in our churches, now in our workplaces, people are quick to deny responsibility and try to place it somewhere else. And for us to have a biblical-based, a Christ-honoring, reconciling of one another, if I have offended, then I must say I have messed up. A few years ago, we were, I was coaching a basketball team. It's been about four years ago or so, five years ago. <clears throat> we were uh, up in St. Louis playing a team. And our, our player had the ball, and, and we were uh, doing something, and the ball went out of bounds. And the referee called it the wrong way. Before he could inbound the ball, I called a timeout, and I called my team over. The young man that was handling the basketball, I said, Daniel, did you touch that ball when it went out of bounds? He said, yes, sir, I did. I said, then go tell the referee. He looked at me like that was the most incredible. He never heard anything like that. That was just foreign to him. He ended up telling the referee, and the referee went over and told the other coach. And the other coach said, if that man has that kind of honesty, give him the ball anyway. But folks, we need to have, and I know that's just a game, but we need to get back to taking responsibility when we have done wrong. The third thing I believe that we find, and David said that in verse 3, by the way, he says, I acknowledge my transgression. This is mine. I did it. I have sinned. Notice thirdly, the, the responsibility of reconciling with the one that we have offended. Look down with me in verse number 10. The psalmist says, or David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
He comes and he has offended God, and his first thought is, I want to make things right. Don't cast me away. Give me another chance. In other words, he was saying, I'm wrong, God. I'm, I'm imperfect, and I acknowledge that. Will you please give me another chance? We go to somebody that we've offended, and you approach them in that spirit. I was wrong. I know I've hurt you. I am imperfect, and I know that. Would you please give me another chance? What have I just done? I have reconciled with that man or that woman. That relationship that had a wedge in it, a spirit of offense that was driving us further apart, is now something that we can draw back together again. There will always be scars. I'm not saying the scar will disappear, but the reconciling will have been done. By the way, can I say this, that the longer that the offense is driving us apart, the further one or both of us are moving from the Lord Jesus Christ. For we cannot draw further apart from one another without drawing further apart from Him. I want you to notice that not only should we be able to have a spirit of reconciliation to try to restore that which has been uh, offended, to have created once again inside of us a relationship, a heart that is pure and right, seeking not to be cast off by the offended, asking to be restored under the joy. Notice in verse 